Hey everybody, Pastor Dan here. Thank you so much for listening to our sermon podcast. Before we get into today's message, I just want to give you a heads up that January is Stewardship Month here at Brockport First Baptist. All month we're going to be studying some of Jesus' teachings about money in the Gospel of Mark while we reflect together on our own stewardship. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support the ministries of our church, head over to brockportfirstbaptist.org give. You'll find a bunch of ways there that you can support our church, including by shopping through our Amazon Smile link and by giving online through PayPal. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting our church. We couldn't do what we do without you. Now on to the podcast. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading this morning is from Mark 10, verses 17 through 31. If you want to follow along, it's in your pew Bible on page 822. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your mother and father. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but, for not, not, but not for God. For God all things is possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Cindy, for that reading. And thanks to Bridget, too, for that testimony. That was awesome. Really appreciated hearing your story. I also want to say uh, welcome back to Lucas, our organist. Lucas um, has been away for almost a month, so it is good to have him back. Um, Welcome, Lucas, and yeah. 
Uh, as we mentioned a couple times already, it is stewardship season. Um, in line with our stewardship ca- campaign, we are taking the month of January uh, to look, about, look at some of Jesus' teachings about money and wealth in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and today's passage is a doozy. I don't know about you, but I know like, you know, as that's being read, it's just like, ooh, I don't think I like that. Um, how many of us are familiar with this one, the rich young man? How many of us have heard this one before? Okay, that's, that's most of us, a good, a good number of us. Um, it's a pretty famous story from the Gospels. I'm not going to reread it, um, but just to recap, Jesus is walking along, and he's approached by a wealthy gentleman, the rich young man. Uh, This guy appears to be a practicing Jew. He's kept the commandments since he was a child, and he wants to know how to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus tells him to confess he's a sinner, say the sinner's prayer, and become his disciple. Wait, no, that's not what happens. That's not how it goes. Hold on. Um, How does it go? What does he say? Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. Probably not the most, uh, the best evangelism tactic, right? (laughs) Like uh, evangelism 101, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to hear the gospel and respond to it. I have never uh, seen an altar call or been to a revival meeting where the preacher was like, all you have to do to be saved is sell everything you own. I don't think that would go over very well. Jesus was not a very good evangelist. (laughs) Um, This is a confusing story. It's challenging, uh, especially for middle-class Americans who are relatively well-off. This is a story that kind of cuts against the grain of our culture. Most of us um, probably aren't rich by, like, American standards, um, but in the grand scheme of things, we are pretty well-off. Better off than most of the world's population. We're far better off than even this, this uh, wealthy Jewish guy from the first century who probably didn't even have soap, right? Like, we're doing pretty well. There's a lot in this story that'll probably make us uneasy. Uh, there's also a lot going on here that we don't really know, that we're not really sure about. There's all sorts of questions. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> we don't know who this rich guy is. We're not given his name. <clears throat> we don't know where he comes from. We don't know how he got his wealth. None of that is explicitly spelled out in the text, but we do have some clues to follow. Mark has sprinkled in a few hints in this one to help us get some background and understand more of what's going on. But with this one, you have to know where to look. The first thing to know, the first piece of background information that's kind of helpful is that there weren't many ways to accumulate large quantities of wealth in the first century, especially if you were a pious Jew living under Roman occupation. Uh, Judea at the time of Jesus was a nation of poor farmers. The only wealth most people had was their land, and your average Jewish farmer was extremely poor, overtaxed, and in debt. It was a brutal economic system. One bad accident, um, one uh, poor harvest, one unforeseen expense could be ruin. And the main way to accumulate wealth back then, if you weren't born into it, if you weren't part of the aristocracy, which nowhere in this text does it say this guy was, the one way you could amass a large quantity of wealth 
was by buying up the land of poor farmers. Let's say your neighbor falls into debt. Maybe they had like a bad harvest uh, on their field. But you had a good harvest. You had some money set away. Um, Your family was provided for. You could pay off your neighbor's debt by buying their land, usually at a really good discount, like pennies on the dollar. Now you own the land, and your neighbor gets to stay there. They get to live there, but now they work for you. Now the profits from their harvest go in your pocket. You build up some more wealth this way. You have a few more good seasons, a few good harvests. Another neighbor falls on hard times. So you buy their land. Now they work for you. Rinse, repeat. If you do this a few times over a number of years, with enough luck, a little ingenuity, a little negotiating skill, you could amass a huge quantity of wealth back in Jesus' day. Now, Mark doesn't tell us that's what this guy did to get wealthy, but again, we've got some clues that point us in this direction. First clue, when this guy comes up to Jesus, he asks a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That word, inherit, um, he, he doesn't ask, like, how do I earn eternal life? How do I get into heaven? How can I become your disciple? No, how can I inherit eternal life? That word inherit is the word used for land transfers. Generally, you'd get land through inheritance, your father's land, which was his father's land, and so on, but that was not the only way to acquire land in this system. We could just as easily translate that word acquire, and it would still work. What must I do to acquire eternal life? This is a guy who might have earned his wealth by acquiring the land of his poor neighbors, and now he wants to know, how do I get my hands on the kingdom of God? He wants to get a hold of that the same way he's gotten a hold of other pieces of property. That's clue number one. So Jesus rattles off the Ten Commandments, or at least six of them. You know the commands, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. This is another hint because there's a command that's missing. He skips the first four, which are um, all about God, don't worship idols, things like that. No pious Jewish person would have had a debate with those first four commandments. But Jesus focuses on the six ethical commands and he leaves one out. You shall not covet. Instead of that, Jesus says, don't defraud. Maybe, and we're reading between the lines here, so grain of salt, but maybe Jesus knows this guy's heart, and he knows this is a person who's amassed wealth by coveting his neighbor's lands. Maybe. But the third and final clue we get, this one's the kicker. It comes at the end of this exchange when the man walks away deflated because he had many possessions. Um, Go to the next slide, Gary. There we go. Um, This word that's being used here for possessions, it's the Greek word katema. Let me hear you say katema. Not bad. KT is kind of a weird sound to put together. Um, Katema literally means properties, land holdings. That's katema. 
You can use the word for like just general possession stuff that's a lot less common. A very rigid, literal interpretation of that word would be properties. The man went away grieving because he had many properties, ketema. These clues put this famous, well-known story in kind of a different light, don't they? A rich man comes up to Jesus asking how he can acquire eternal life, clue number one. Jesus rattles off the commandments, leaving out the one about coveting, (laughs) clue number two. Oh, I've kept those since I was a boy. And so Jesus says, one thing you lack, third clue, go sell all your possessions, give the money to, poor, uh, to the poor, and come follow me. And the man walks away dejected because he had many properties. Sell all that property you've acquired and give it back to the poor. Give it to the people you acquired it from, and then you can be my disciple. Jesus is telling this guy to make reparations, right? Set things right. Undo the injustices you've benefited from, and then you'll have treasures in heaven. Make reparations, and then come follow me. And I know that there are few words in the English language that will rile up a room full of white people like reparations, (laughs) right? Let's leave it up there for a minute, though. All reparations mean is to set things right, make things right. That's a biblical idea. That's what Jesus is telling this guy to do. Go make things right, and then you can become my disciple. Then you can follow me. And you might be thinking, I haven't done anything like this rich man. I got my wealth honestly. I didn't, I didn't steal it. I didn't take it from my neighbors. That's what I found myself thinking earlier this week as I was working through this text. But then I got to that line a few verses later where Jesus says that it'll be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That scares the crap out of me. It should really scare all of us a little bit. It scares me when I think about the injustices that I have benefited from. When I think about, like, whose land I live on and how my ancestors acquired that land. When I think about the labor that built this prosperous economy in which I've been able to work hard and get ahead. It scares me when I think about uh, the materials in my phone and how they were obtained, the hands that made my clothes and picked my food. It's daunting, right? To think about all this stuff. To think about all these injustices and what it could take, the cost to set things right, to make reparations. It's easy to just shut down with this stuff. So I figure we have two options with this story. We could tune it out. We could ignore it. We'd go about our day. Um, I could end the sermon here, pray. Uh, You could go out for lunch after the business meeting, of course. Stay for the business meeting. Um, We could just ignore this. That's option one. Or, we could try to actually learn from this story and explore some practical ways this text might apply to our lives. (laughs) 
Let's go with option one. We've got time. Let's do option one. Let's talk about this story and what it might look like to actually live this out practically. Let's take a few lessons from this. Um, First lesson that I think we can take away from this one is to count the cost of the wealth we've accumulated. Not do anything about it. Just count the cost to start. Um, This one's tricky because we've gotten a lot better at hiding those costs. We conceal those injustices really well. In Jesus' day, it was obvious. They were living under foreign occupation for crying out loud. You could see it everywhere. Today, it's harder. But make no mistake, our wealth has a cost. Next day shipping from Amazon has a cost. It might be free for us, but there's a cost. Uh, Being part of a country where we can buy up the world's supplies of vaccines and antiviral drugs um, during a global pandemic has a cost. The other thing that makes it hard to count the cost is that that forces us to confront some historical realities we'd rather not talk about because it makes us very uncomfortable. Um, There's a whole movement underway in our society to kind of put a lid on historical injustices and just, like, ignore them, hope they go away. Um, You see this in the debates that are erupting at school board meetings. Uh, You see this in efforts to whitewash our history curriculum. Um, There's a growing movement against including diverse perspectives, minority voices in education and curriculum. Um, There are schools across the country who have banned books like To Kill a Mockingbird because it might make white kids feel uncomfortable. Um, I was a white kid who read To Kill a Mockingbird, and I turned out fine. (laughs) I might not be the best example to use, but I feel fine. I feel fine. Um, Last month, there was this painting that went viral. Um, We'll put it up here. By an artist named Jonathan Harris. That's him right next to it. And I think this painting encapsulates well some of what's happening today. Um, If you're listening to the podcast version of this, you're going to have to Google it. Search for Jonathan Harris painting, you'll probably find it. But it's a painting showing images of Martin Luther King Jr., Harriet Tubman, other uh, famous African-American figures from history, and they're literally being whitewashed, painted over. It's a powerful image. It's an upsetting image. This painting says way more than I can say in a 20-minute sermon. And I think it captures something true about what's happening today. At a time when so many are trying to whitewash our history, followers of Jesus can be countercultural by counting the cost of our wealth. And I want to acknowledge again, this can feel daunting, but it doesn't have to be. This doesn't have to be a massive endeavor. Make a resolution this year to read one book about a historical injustice. Uh, A group of us from church were interested in learning more about racial injustice, racial inequality. So back in the fall, we read The Color of Compromise uh, together. This is a fantastic book looking at systemic racism through a Christian lens. Uh, The author, Jamar Tisby, who's a pastor, um, he helps connect the dots between slavery, Jim Crow, uh, segregation, and continuing inequalities that we see today. I have this book. 
There's like 15 people here who have this book. If you want to read this, we will find you a copy. Maybe books aren't your thing. Um, That's fine. Watch a documentary. Uh, Watch a movie like 13th on Netflix. Uh, This is a really good documentary. I know, I know like at least half of you have Netflix. Um, This is a really good documentary about mass incarceration and the racial inequalities that have plagued our justice system since the passage of the 13th Amendment uh, banning slavery. Read a book. Watch a movie. Uh, Do a Google search for what Native American tribes lived in my zip code and then read up on what happened to them. I did this recently. It wasn't a great story. The point here isn't to feel bad about yourself. It's not to feel guilty. It's to learn, get informed, so that we can start counting the cost. Count the cost of the wealth you've accumulated. After you've done that, I think the next step, the next lesson, is to start looking at our own economic practices. Look for ways that you can redistribute your personal wealth through practices, concrete, specific practices of giving and sharing in your own life. This is what we see the early church doing in the book of Acts, when they're all together and they have all things in common and they pool their resources. This is what Jesus is talking about in our passage when he says, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, all of that, who will not receive a hundredfold in this age and in the age to come. Christians are called to practice a different sort of economics, a different sort of finances. Find a few simple ways to bring some sharing and giving into your economic life, your household. Um, Two stories come to mind for me on this front. Uh, The first is when I graduated from seminary back in 2011 which is now more than 10 years ago. That's kind of terrifying. Um, I had a friend named Jason who started in the program in seminary a couple years ahead of me, um, and he kind of mentored me a bit through the program. Uh, He would encourage me when I felt like quitting, and uh, at my graduation, he surprised me with a gift. He bought me this program called Bible Works. Super nerdy Bible program, Um, but it's a program that lets you really dig into Scripture uh, and explore the original languages. You can pull up just about any translation of the Bible, hover your little clicker over the text, and it pulls up the the Greek word. You can see manuscripts, definitions, different ways to translate it. It's all there. This was like a $700 program at the time. Today, there's like two dozen websites. I'll just do this for you for free, but back then, this was expensive, and he just gave it to me. He didn't let me like borrow his password and use his copy. He just gave me this $700 program. I was like blown away. I was like, are you sure about this? This is really expensive. You could probably use this. And I remember Jason was like, look, my wife and I have this thing where every couple months we try to give a big gift to someone someone on hard times, someone, someone who, who we're really proud of. It's our ministry. This is our gift to you. I probably don't have to tell you this, but 10 years later, I'm still benefiting from this gift. You all are still benefiting from this gift. 
Those who leave house and fields and brothers and sisters for the sake of the gospel will receive a hundredfold in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. A second story that comes to mind from my own life, this is uh, a little more recent, um, and it stinks that they're not here today because it's about the Odells, um, and I know they're sick. But just a few months ago, um, I was mowing my lawn, and the blade on my mower broke, shot out the front of my mower, went like halfway across the yard. I'm really glad it didn't shoot out the back of the mower because that would have been bad. Um, but totally tore up the underside of the mower. I had to take it to the shop to get repaired. It was going to take weeks, which turned into a couple of months. Um, and my grass is getting longer and longer this whole time. So I go on Facebook, and I posted, like you do, I was like, hey, does anyone have a mower I can borrow? And within like five minutes, Michelle O'Dell sends me a message. And she's like, you can, you can use our mower. We have an extra one. Come borrow it whenever you want. Keep it for as long as you need. I think they'd been coming to our church for about two weeks at that point. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. But I went, I got their mower, I used it for a month and a half. And like an idiot, when I returned it, I forgot to give them the bag, so I drove around for a month with their mower bag in my back seat, made my uh, car smell amazing. Sorry if you're watching this online again, by the way. (laughs) But find some concrete, measurable, specific practices you can do that will allow you to give and share what you have with others on a regular basis. Um, You can even use this pink card as a catalyst. Um, Last weekend, Aaron and I sat down to talk over what we give to church. Do we want to make any changes? Um, It led to a conversation about other ways to give, other charities we support. Don't let your stewardship, your giving, end here. Use this as a springboard to think about other things you can be doing. Third lesson, last but not least. After we count the cost and look at our personal finances and how we give and share, practice economic justice as a part of our discipleship. Jesus really couldn't be any clearer on this point. If you want to be my disciple, make things right. Start by making reparations, and then you'll have treasures in heaven. If there's a cause you care about, Or if there's some historic injustice on your heart, start working to set things right. Find ways to volunteer and get involved. Find a nonprofit that is working toward that goal and give to them. Call your representatives. Talk to someone at church and let us know how the church can help with this. How can we get involved? Did you know that there is a bill before Congress right now that would study historic injustices against African Americans. Just study it. It's called H.R. 40. Um, It would establish an independent commission to study things like slavery, Jim Crow, all that. And then this bill, if it passed, the committee would go on to make recommendations, ideas of what could be done to help set things right. Not like actually do it, but like, hey, we've studied. Here's what we could do. That bill is going nowhere because no one in the government will touch it. And I know reparations is a big topic. Um, People have a lot of different views on this. It means different things to different people. But our scriptures take setting things right very seriously. 
Our scriptures instruct us toward economic justice. We saw that in Leviticus a few months ago. We see it in the book of Acts with the early church, and we see it here in the teachings of Jesus. Following Jesus, living into eternal life, being part of God's kingdom, isn't about keeping the commandments. It's not about reading your Bible and saying your prayers. As important as that stuff is, do that stuff. But Jesus came to turn the world upside down. He came to set things right on earth as it is in heaven, and Jesus expects his disciples to be part of that, to be agents for transformation in the world. You don't have to solve all the world's problems. You don't have to do it all, but start by counting the cost. Read one book. Watch one documentary. Look at your personal lives, your personal finances. Think about what you could do, and then get involved and make this piece of justice a part of your discipleship. That is how you glorify God with your wealth and build treasure in heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for blessing us with resources um, and wealth that we can use for your glory. And so, God, we ask that you'd guide us. Open our hearts. Give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear. Don't let us be like that rich man who missed out. But God, help us to use our wealth, to use our resources, whatever we have, to lift up others, to set things right, and to glorify you. And God, may we have treasure in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.